Take a few moments and pray. Ask God's blessing on our time and uh, see what God has to say to us. So let's pray. Father, thank you for just the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your authority tonight. We thank you that you appeared to destroy the works of the enemy, the works of the devil. And so tonight I pray for lies to be destroyed. I pray fears to be destroyed. I ask the Lord that we would hear you, we would see you. And that we would learn from you. And we thank you that you lead us, you guide us into all truth. And so I pray that truth to resound and that truth to ring true in us that we can agree with you quickly. We give you thanks tonight for your presence. We give you thanks tonight for uh, just the opportunity to sit at your feet. We ask that this would be a time of growth and a time of change. We give you thanks and praise. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. It could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. It could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. If you need a Bible, pick one up off the table or a digital version. Acts chapter 9. Now I'm going to have someone read verse 15, but I'd like you all to skim a little bit above that. Down through 15 to see what's going on there. So skim that real quick. And then I need a a volunteer to read verse 15 when you're ready. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. All right, thank you. Uh, interesting verse here. <clears throat> you got Ananias, who is obviously a disciple. He's someone that uh, God trusts, and God entrusts this man Paul to him. He's someone that had been strategically placed into the city where he was at in Damascus, and so uh, was there for a reason. And Paul, Saul, I'll refer to him probably as Paul more. Um, you know who I'm talking about. But uh, he had just had an experience. Uh, he is blinded. He knocked off his horse. And he had an experience with Jesus. And so all this is taking place. And so the, God said to Ananias, I want you to go. And he gives him a job with Paul. And if you skimmed it, you know kind of what I'm talking about. So he gives him a job. And he says, I want you to go to him. And uh, I want you to do what needs to get done here. And Ananias argues with him a little bit. And you might say, well, he didn't really argue with him. Well, he sort of did because he knew Paul's reputation. He understood who Saul was, Paul was, in the world they lived in. And he was someone that was threatening the church, someone that had arrest warrants for Christians, someone that was not only arresting Christians but also consenting unto the death of Christians, and someone that... uh, had just a real revenge motive of some kind against Christians, and they understood that. 
They understood that he was a threat to them and that he had come specifically to their city as a threat to them and a threat to the church of Jesus. So that's what they knew. And they had heard of his reputation. He had already done these things in Jerusalem. He'd done these things in other areas. They knew who he was. And so when God said to Ananias, he's like, well, I want you to go with this man. I want you to to minister, do what you're going to do. Ananias is like, yeah, but God, we, we know who this guy is. We know what he's done. His reputation precedes him. We, we know what has happened in Jerusalem. We know what's happened on the way here, what happened before that. And so basically what he's asking is this, you sure you want me to do this, right? Now that seems silly. I don't want you to not hear me right here. That seems silly, but it's not really silly because Ananias is a Christian. Ananias is somebody strong in the faith. Ananias is somebody that God trusts. And I somebody that's a disciple, and I somebody that we could look to and say, okay, there's a guy, he's a pillar in the church in this city, all right, he's strong. And yet, when, when God gave him a specific, specific command to go and do something that in his mind didn't make any sense, what was his reaction? It was, I'm going to question this, because I don't understand this. I am concerned about this. I am afraid of this. And I'm not judging Ananias. I'm just saying those are his reactions. And I want to bring this up. And part of the reason we're, we're looking at this verse is that sometimes God asks us to do things that don't make any sense. And I like to sit here and tell you that everything that God ever says makes perfect sense every time, but it doesn't. And the reason it doesn't, and there's good reasons why, but... The main reason it doesn't is because you got two different kinds of minds working. You got a mind that is infinite and powerful, and you've got us. And so we got two different kinds of minds happening. You got two different knowledge bases happening. You got somebody that knows everything from the beginning of the end, and you got people that have, well, have our limited experiences. So we don't have the same knowledge base. We don't have the same history. We don't know what's going on necessarily around us as much as he does. And so you've got these two different minds going on, and somehow the greater, more powerful, wants us to do something on his behalf. And so he's going to communicate that to us. Why do you think the most effective means of communication is in this kind of a circumstance? What is it? It's a direct means of communication, right, a command. That's the most effective means of communication. And so he gives a command to Ananias to go do this thing, and that's it. And so we can sit here and say, well, we just, he just didn't have enough information. Well, sometimes we don't. We can say, well, he just didn't understand. Well, sometimes we don't understand. We can say, well, you know, maybe if it was explained to him a little bit better, then he would have done it. Well, that's not up to us. God was going to do what he was going to do, and so this was it. So here's Ananias. Here's his job. Here's God speaking to him. And so part of what you're going to hear here is when God speaks back and when God says to Ananias, this is what I want you to do, you're hearing something there. And part of what God is saying to him is don't tell me how bad Paul is. He already knows. Don't tell me how awful this guy is. I already know how awful he is. You don't need to explain to God how awful other people are. Right? And I was just telling God about how terrible he is. Well, you know he went about doing these bad things in all these other places. Well, yeah, he knows that. Again, what are we talking? Two different minds, right? You got... The big infinite mind, you got us. And so the big infinite mind is saying, go do this. And you got us saying, yeah, but what about, or did you know, or or were you aware that he's really bad? And God's answer is like, yeah, of course I know he's really bad. We don't need to tell God how bad somebody is. You know, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Because nobody needs to tell God how bad we are either. All right? He already knows how we are. 
And it just emphasizes that point. It's like, regardless of how bad Paul was, regardless of all the bad things he did, regardless of all the evil things he did, regardless of all the things that he was involved in that you could look at that were against what the church was doing, against Jesus, against all the things that, that the church was trying to accomplish, Paul was working against. That's what he was doing. That's who he was. But regardless of all that, God had a plan for him. And so Ananias telling God, yeah, but he's, he's awful. He's a terrible person. It doesn't matter. You don't have to tell a guy he's a terrible person. God already knew that, but God still had a plan for him. And there's something really, like, ultimately encouraging about that, if you can get that. If you can receive that, there's something really encouraging about the fact that God absolutely, positively knew that Paul was a horrible person toward the church. He already knew that. And yet, Paul was going to be his chosen instrument to expand the kingdom. Now you got to wonder, when Jesus called Matthew the tax collector, do you think the disciples maybe said, do you know he's a tax collector? I mean, not that he didn't pick him up right in the tax booth, right? Yeah. But, you know, you got to wonder. It's like, do you know he's a tax collector? I mean, there is no lower form of human than this person here. You sure you want to call him to be a disciple? Well, yeah. Because Matthew was going to be his chosen instrument. And, and so for us to try to figure that out as we're watching it or even participating in it is a waste of time. It's just a waste of time. And there's been lessons over the years that I've learned about who God uses and who God doesn't use that have nothing to do with my perceptions. Because there's been people over the years that God's used that my perceptions told me were complete and utter losers and can never do anything. And yet that's a chosen instrument that God grabbed hold of and used. That my brain couldn't figure that out, how that was going. And then there were other people along in the years that were sure things in my head. These, are, these people are going to be awesome for the kingdom and they turned into nothing for the kingdom. And so my perceptions and my judgments about it and the way that I see it have been proven wrong over and over and over again. And I've had this argument with people in leadership in several organizations that I've been a part of where they're looking at the external. They're looking at the characteristics that people have. And they're saying, well, why would you choose that person? And it's like everything else I talk about, it's like there's only one good reason to choose somebody to do something. And that's because God said. There, there's no other good reason. Because what you think is characteristic of a, a no way this could possibly fail kind of person means nothing. It's just what's in your head. And sometimes what's in your head stands in the way of what God wants to do because it produces a prejudice in you against that person. And so you have this happening with Ananias. Again, no judgment on him, just how it was. That you've got Paul, who is a persecutor of the church, a danger. And you got God telling Ananias to go to him and to reveal to him that he's a Christian. And so basically, he's being told to go and turn himself in, in his mind. And so that was the argument that you were hearing. And so the first thing he says there in verse 15, he gives this command, he says, go. Now, some of your Bibles say something else, but it basically means go. And so he says, go. And go, sometimes go is the only answer to answer our doubts and hesitations about duty. We just got to go do it. That's the only answer. 
Because if you try to rationalize it or you try to argue it or you try to convince yourself of it or you try to argue with God about it or you try to figure it out ahead of time, you're not going to be successful with that. And all that happens is you get delayed and you forget about it. It doesn't happen. And so when we face situations like that and, and we're going to face situations like that where God clearly says something that we don't understand, then the best and only answer to answer those hesitations, to answer those doubts about duty, and duty is something, that's something that God tells you to do, is to go and do it. It's obedience. So Ananias, I guess you could have kept arguing about it or thrown out a fleece or whatever people do. I don't know what people do. I guess he could have done all those things, but he just went because that's what he was told to do. So you go. That's the answer. You go. Now, you might not like that already. I don't know. It's okay if you don't like that. You don't have to like it. You just go. So he describes Paul literally as a vessel of election. And that phrase isn't used anywhere else in the Bible, but the idea of a vessel in this context, it's been used uh, in this context, that word was used as to refer to arms. You don't think of that as vessel, but arms, instrument, implement, like a tool. And so the idea behind it is that this is my tool. And uh, and so he is a vessel of uh, election, a useful and trusty servant or slave. And so that's how he describes Paul. Somebody look at 2 Corinthians 4, 7. All right, and so what you see there is that you see Paul referring to himself as a vessel, that we're vessels. And, and so he refers to himself there as a vessel of clay, uh, describing our condition. And so there's something here very personal about how he's being described here to Ananias and something that sticks with him throughout his writings about who he is. And who God's called him to be. Somebody look at First Thessalonians four four. First Thessalonians four four. All right. So again, you see, there's this germ of this seed that was planted in him that. And again, it hadn't been used anywhere else, but then now it's all of a sudden being used through the writings of Paul. So in other words, he's referring to himself, referring to us as vessels. That we each need to understand this part of us. We each need to understand what God has called us to and how God has called us. So uh, that we, he, according to God, speaking to Ananias, Paul is a vessel of election. He is useful and trusty. Y'all see the seed of this in the germ. You can see the germ of this in a parable. Look at Romans 9. Romans 9, 21 through 23. Someone can read that. All right, so you see a, Paul's telling a parable here, and he's talking about 
Israel. But I understand, though, that that parable, and you see the, the seed of that being planted in him. And in the story of his conversion, in the story of how he's described to Ananias. And so all of those things, and the only reason I'm having you read those things, all of those things, though, they are born out of this understanding of how God works and this understanding of how God does things. Because this is the gospel. This is what the hope of the gospel is, is that this is the change that takes place. As these people looked at Paul, they saw one thing. They, they saw who he was, and they saw the things that he did, and they saw the danger that he posed, because that's what they saw. And yet God saw something completely different. And so then the question comes up, it's like, all right, well, if we're seeing one thing, like, like Ananias was seeing a danger, he was seeing an enemy, a, a persecutor, that's all he could see, then Ananias would have to be retaught how to see things. And, and really the question becomes, how do we begin to see things the way God does instead of whatever it is we've judged it to be? Because if you apply the judgment that you have on others to yourself, you'd probably be in trouble. And I don't mean that in any kind of a like accusatory way, just in a general way that that's kind of the way it is. That when we as people actually and truly, honestly, begin to apply a judgment, say, that we have on other people to ourselves, we'd be in a lot of trouble with that. Because the judgment that we have on others is often a lot harsher than the judgment that we have on ourselves. And so what's being retaught here to Ananias is like, well, you need to think about this differently. You need to see this guy differently. Well, the question is, how do you do that? And Paul describes it in Romans uh, chapter 9 where he talks about, well, doesn't the potter have the right to reshape the clay any way he wants? That if a vessel comes out and you don't like it, we got a potter right here, Kim. If, if you make something, you're making a bowl and you don't like the way the bowl looks, what's your right? You're going to squash it, smash it, and start over again, right? And then you can make that into a vase if you want. Then it wouldn't even have to be a bowl. And so the whole idea behind it was that what Paul was trying to do with the people in Rome, and, and really I believe what God was trying to do with Ananias, is to understand that the Creator can remake something if He chooses to. It's not really up to us to try to figure that out. Well, why? I don't know. Why didn't He like the bowl? I can't tell you that. But He didn't. And that's His right not to like it. He's the artist, He's the maker. And so he squashed that, but then he made something else. And so following along with that, we need to be able to see that. Now, why would it be important for us to see that? Why do we care? I think of two reasons. What? Because we're being remade, so it's a process that we're all in. So participating in that process, understanding that process, not judging our past, right? But seeing God's doing a new work, he's making something new, all right? And accepting that new thing that God is doing, walking in that new thing that God is doing, all right? So that's a part of it. Why else? At all. Not really. He is. Now, most of you are disciples. Or at least have a role in discipling others. Why would this be important? Right. Right. Sometimes you're the one carrying that vision for somebody. That they don't have it. They don't know. They can't grasp that yet. But you're the one that has it. Because God gave that to you. I'm not sure Paul understood what his future was here. Doesn't seem to me that he knew what it was. I mean, Jesus had said some things to him, and when he was blinded and knocked off the horse, I mean, Jesus had something to say to him, and so he had a glimpse of it. He understood something about it, but he didn't understand everything about it. And there would be those that would be sent his way that would help guide him into that. Well, if we want to be part of that process, then we need to be a people that can get a hold of his vision for people. 
but we got to put ourselves into that place. Meaning that we may look at a person and be like, no way. There's no way that person is ever going to be whatever it is. Well, yeah, that may be our judgment of it, but that doesn't mean that's God's final word. And, and if we're going to come into line with what God has for that person, then we're going to have to be able to see things through his vision, not ours. And aligning ourselves to be able to do that. That's why this is important. Ananias could have kept down the same road he was on. He could have said, yeah, well, this guy's a persecutor. He's a danger. He's a threat. He's an enemy. And he could have just kept going down that line. But he had to be retaught. And he allowed himself to be retaught. That that's not necessarily the case. Because a person can change from who they were to who they're going to be, at least with Jesus, in a day. And they start a different process that day. So, and I know that's impossible. It doesn't mean everything changes. It doesn't mean that they're completely and utterly different, but that process begins. And so if we're going to be encouragers in that process, then we need to get in line with what God is doing. Well, then we need to be retaught so that we're not standing in the way. We need to be retaught so we're not making old assumptions. We need to be retaught so that we're not living in fear. We need to be retaught so that we're not scared to approach or scared to encourage or scared to correct or scared to do whatever it is that God has for us to do in a person's life. If we're going to get on board with what he wants to do and if we're going to be a part of the process in other people's lives, we have to be retaught to do that. So it's not only for our lives, not only for the process that we're in, which I think is an important part of it, because through participating in that, we get a better glimpse and understanding of how God works and what he wants to do. We get a better understanding of leaving the past behind, grabbing hold of the present, looking forward to the future, all that stuff. So we, so we do get involved in that, and we begin to get involved in how God does things. And, and looking to a future that God is the one who directs. But it also equips us and helps to start equip us to being effective in other people's lives. Because people change ultimately is what discipleship is about and what one of the main missions of what we're doing here is about. See people change. And I started off by talking about all the times I've been wrong about it. Because I want you to understand that. I want you to understand that, that there's so many times I couldn't see something. But that doesn't mean God wasn't saying it. There were times when I couldn't conceive of something. It doesn't mean God wasn't saying it was going to be. That, that I could not understand something, but that doesn't mean it didn't make sense to the Almighty. And so I wanted to start out by saying that because it's a process that God puts us all in to retrain us and to reteach us to see things his way, if we're willing. And I think over the years, through a slow process, I've gotten better at seeing it. And all of us can get better at seeing it if that's what we choose to learn. And I would say relearn. So, Paul, so what, so what Ananias is being told here is that Paul is the one who had been chosen. Like, in other words, he saw him as a danger and an enemy. But God was saying, uh, he's the one that's been chosen. He's more fit than all the others to expand the kingdom of God. Which is kind of hilarious because he's trying to destroy the kingdom of God. He's trying to destroy the work of the church, right? You follow what I'm saying here? All right, so that, that's what history is saying. That's what is actually happening. God is saying at the same time to Ananias, 
He is the most fit person on the face of the earth to expand the kingdom of God. And so you're at a point of crisis right then about who you're going to believe. Am I going to believe what I'm seeing with this guy? Or am I going to believe what God just said? And that's going to be a decision you have to make. So Ananias had to make that decision. Because God is basically here. He starts off saying, go, do this, which is the only real answer to, I got doubts, I don't know, go. All right. And God's basically telling him right here, he's like, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. He's letting him know, I know what you're thinking. And he also knows how it looks. I mean, God understands how it looks on the outside. It looks like a trap. That's what it looks like. It looks like a trap. I'm going to go with this guy. I'm going to tell him I'm a Christian and offer to pray for him. He's going to arrest me because he's here to arrest Christians. How obvious a trap is that? It's like when the cops call you and tell you you won the lottery, come down to this certain building at a certain time, and you claim your prize, and they just arrest you when you get there. It's a trap. So, yeah, don't fall for that one if you got a warrant out for your arrest. But it's a trap. <coughs> and so <clears throat> that's what it looks like. And so you think about how great his former, how aggravated his former transgressions were. I mean, he was famous for being a transgressor. I mean, you got sinners and you got people famous for being sinners. All right. So he was famous for being a sinner. It's like, OK, you got persecutors then you got persecutors, you know, by name. They knew him by name. I mean, he, he was well known. He was famous. He was famous for hating Christians. Famous for it. Famous for throwing them in jail. Famous for chasing them around. Famous for it. Claim to fame. Paul, Saul, whatever. He hates Christians. We all know him by name. He's the guy I want you to go to, to pray for do you see the hesitation? Do you understand it? So you've got to make a decision at that point. Ananias had to make a decision. He's like, am I going to believe my fears? Am I going to believe my experience and what I've seen? Or am I going to believe God and what he has through this guy? And he made a decision to believe God. He allowed himself to be retaught. Because one thing to talk about, oh, it's the clay and the potter, and it's all nice like that until you're afraid you're going to get arrested. And then you got to make a decision. Then you got to make a practical decision about what you actually believe. And so he was called to make a practical decision about what he actually believed. Because the next thing God basically says to him, so he said to go, he said, he said, I know what you think, and I know how this looks. And so the next thing God speaks to him, he says this. He says, I know what I'm doing. And I guess ultimately that's what we need to believe. God knows what he's doing. Whether we understand it or not, whether we can see it or not, whether we have any knowledge of it or not, he knows what he's doing. Somebody look at Galatians 1.5. Galatians 1.5. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> That's likely not the right verse, but thank you for reading it. <laughs> Appreciate it. No, I mean, I. this is what I wrote down, but it's likely not the right verse. 
Try 115. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. That's it. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Uh, in that verse, I mean, basically Paul understood, and this is what's being played out here in Acts with Ananias. Paul understood that before he was ever born, he had a call of God on his life. And that he was being called, he was being chosen. This is what he was going to be doing. So Paul was going to be God's tool, which is what God told Ananias. And in that verse in Galatians 1, I mean, you got to look through all the past, too. It's like, all right, well, Paul's my tool since before his birth. But he's a persecutor of the church. He's arresting people. He's consenting unto the death of the Christians, all this other stuff. All that, but Paul is my tool, chosen by the Lord to work out his will. Those are the facts. And Paul describes those facts in Galatians 1.15. And so the idea and what God's speaking at night says, Paul is going to bear God's name to the heathens, the Gentiles, to kings. And you think about the kings that Paul spoke from. Agrippa was one of them, one of the kings and likely before Caesar. And so you, you look at that, and it's like, well, he's going to bear my name not only to all these nations, not only to all these people that are currently not being reached, to all these people that are being ignored, to all these people that need the gospel, that don't know God. So he's going to bear my name to all these different people, but he's also going to bear my name before kings. And so he's going to be my chosen representative. Well, who knows stuff like that? Well, God knows stuff like that. And we don't. And so God knows what he's doing. Because he's known what he was going to do since before Paul was born. And that's what that verse in Galatians 1.15 talks about, is that God's plans were already laid. And so Ananias finds himself... in the midst of that plan that was being played out since before Paul was born. <coughs> he finds himself in the middle of what God is doing, in the middle of God's will. And so it comes down to, it comes down to us knowing our part. What's our part in this? I mean, Ananias, you guys name in the Bible, right? That's pretty good. Who is that guy? We don't know. Just some guy, Ananias, from Damascus or somewhere. So, but the reason he's in the Bible is because he played his part. Well, what was his part? Well, his part was to go and to pray for Saul, Paul, and to minister and to do what God told him to do. And so he played a part in his life. He played a part in this call. He played a part in the raising up of Paul to become the apostle to the Gentiles and to represent God to all the nations of the Gentiles and the heathen and to kings. This little guy here who was questioning God the whole time anyway. <coughs> but had enough sense to actually obey. And so, the mission of the apostles being laid out here and revealed to Ananias. So you got a sinner, and you got a, he's going to be sent to the infidels. That's his job. And it's to God's glory to surpass our expectations. It's always to God's glory to do that. So if it's God's glory to surpass our expectations, then you have to think about, well, what are my expectations? Well, it's whatever we look at a situation, it's whatever we're going to judge it as. 
So in other words, if we see danger, then we see danger, but God may see mercy. If we see a threat, uh, God may see something completely different, like uh, he, he might see an opportunity. And so if we're going to start living in what God is doing, we're going to start living in the way God sees things, then we're going to have to lay aside some of our own perceptions and most of our own expectations and allow him to begin to build expectations in us. So Ananias is a great example of that, which is why we're looking at him tonight, because his expectations and the way he was looking at things were pretty limited to whatever his experiences were and to however he was going to be able to see that. And what God was retraining him in and reteaching him in it was to see things through his eyes and to see things in an expanded fashion. Like, in other words, this is going to be somebody that's going to do A, B, C, and D. You're seeing him as who he was. And I'm telling you, this is who he is and who he's going to be. And it's to God's glory to expect, to surpass our expectations like that. And so I think we need to have some kind of an expectation in us or some kind of a, a thought in us that says, all right, well, part of God's glory is to surpass my expectations. So whatever your expectations are, he wants to go beyond that. Whatever your expectations are of other people, he wants to go beyond that. Whatever your expectations about what he can do in the lives of others, what he can do in your life, it needs to go beyond what you can see right now. Because it's to his glory to do that. Just like it was to his glory to do that in the life of Paul, it's to his glory to do that in your life too. For whatever it is. Like we may have an expectation, well, God's going to use me up until this point. But it's to his glory to take you past that point and to take you into something else. But to really just leave that possibility open in our lives. To say, yeah, maybe there's a whole different level that God's taking me to. Maybe there's a whole different place that God has for me that is going to be a place of growth or going to be some kind of a place of power. It's going to be some kind of a place of usefulness. It's going to be some kind of a place where God's going to take hold of my life and do something crazy good. But if all we're doing is living in fear, afraid to move, and afraid to believe him for more, or afraid of failure, or afraid of whatever it is that keeps us back, then we're really not going to be in a position where we're saying, God, do whatever you want. Part of seeing God's glory through our life is this, is allowing for him to move us beyond what we can see. To move us beyond what, what we can conceive of in our minds. To move us into something greater. That's part of his glory. You know, I, I used to be around people. They'd always tell me, say, I want to see the glory of God. Me too. But one of the surefire ways that you see the glory of God is by him surpassing our expectations in, the li in our lives, but in the lives of the people around us, to even greater things. That is the glory of God, at least partially. And recognizing that in one another's lives, recognizing that in our own life, is recognizing the glory of God all around us and in us. And so I want to encourage you toward that. I want to encourage you toward being a people that are seeing God more as the potter who's not done yet in me and in you, but in the people around us either. Begin to see God as someone that does whatever he wants and whomever he chooses and not write people off and not dismiss people because you can't see it. Well, maybe we can't see it, but he can. And we don't know who that person is going to be. And it's not up to us to figure out who that person is going to be. It's up to us to do our part, whatever that is.
What's our part? Maybe a word of encouragement. What's our part? Maybe give them a place to live. What's our part? Buying them a meal. What's our part? Teaching them something. I don't know. I can't tell you our part. I don't know what your part is. Praying deliverance over them. Praying for their eyes to be open. Praying for their ears to be open. I don't know what our part is. I don't know what your part is. Ananias had his part. He was expected to hear what God said and to go and do it. That's our part. And so we hear God and we do what he says. What if it doesn't make any sense? We hear God and do what he says. What if we don't understand it? We hear God and do what he says. What if we can't see it? We do. We hear God and do what he says. What if it doesn't make any sense in our, our brain? We hear God and we do what he says. And as far as I'm concerned, that's how you see the miraculous. As far as I'm concerned, that's how you, you see God move in people's lives. As far as I'm concerned, that's how you see the glory of God manifest in you and around you. I can make it more complicated. I could tell you that God always explains himself, but he doesn't. He does not. And there are just those moments in our life where we're just called to hear what he says and do it. And that's the end of it. But those are key moments a lot of times, not only in our life, but in the lives of others around us. And so I can only encourage you toward it. I'm going to take a few moments and pray. And as we do, I just want you to think about where you're at. I mean, just truthfully, where you're at. Where you're at in this process of relearning how to see people and relearning how to see yourself. Because maybe you're hard on yourself. I don't know. Maybe you're hard on others. Maybe it's just time to stop and let God do what he wants to do. Not only let him do what he wants to do, but actively participate in what he wants to do. So Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us. You got the best for us. That you're not holding anything back. And I thank you that you want to use us. That he who has begun a good work in us shall complete it. Even unto the day of Christ Jesus. And, and so we thank you for that. We thank you for the good work that you've begun. And I pray that we would have every expectation that you're completing that work according to your word. I just ask you that we would actively participate as you complete that work in us. And that we would believe you and be re-educated, be re-taught to see ourselves how you see us and not for how we judge ourselves. And so I pray that as that expands, I pray that outward to the people around us. That we begin to see the people around us more how you see them that we'd allow for that, that we would allow for you to call somebody your chosen instrument, that there's no way we could ever see that. And yet that's what you say. That we would allow for you to say that someone's going to do X, Y, or Z when there's no way we could ever see that or even understand that. In the physical, that possibility doesn't really even exist. And yet that's what you say. I just ask that you would give us the faith to believe you at your word. And so God, tonight I just ask that we would participate with you in our lives and we'd participate one with another as you work in us, as you mold us, you make us, and you change us. I pray for those here that are disciples. I ask God that you would open their eyes You'd open their ears, you'd open their spirit, their spiritual senses 
to be able to hear you and allow themselves to be retaught how to see people around them. Allow themselves to be retaught about what you want to do through them in the lives of those people. And allow for that process to happen. God, I pray for more disciples to be raised up here and all around the world where we have missionaries. I pray, God, more disciples to be raised up. I pray for more teachers to be raised up. I pray for more preachers to be raised up. I pray for more evangelists to be raised up. I pray for more prophets to be raised up. I pray for more apostles to be raised up. I pray missionaries to be sent. I pray that just as a simple prayer. But I ask you that we would do our part in that process. So reteach us. I pray that we'd have hearts ready, eager, willing to learn. We want to know your ways, God. Give you thanks tonight. We ask God that you'd use us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you tonight. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the comunidad. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.